0: The downside of this is that if you're trying to provide timely updates, the algorithm doesn't know necessarily that those are interesting because people haven't liked them enough yet. So like a post you made five days ago has accumulated some likes and is maybe just telling the algorithm people who like this kind of content should see this kind of content so that they'll put that right at the top of your feed. Whereas something that you posted an hour ago is still kind of getting trained or data for the, the algorithm to determine whether to be posted. For you, it's very time-sensitive as a trail manager, right? Like, hey, it's raining right now, or it's about to rain. Don't go ride. And someone logs into Facebook, and the first thing they see is a post from three days ago that says, trail's riding great. Have a good time, (laughs) right? That's not the most useful thing.
1: Welcome to Trail Effect. I am your host, Josh Blum. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, the communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. The goal of this show is to turn the stories you will hear from our guests into useful knowledge that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. Episode 157 features TrailBot. Your go-to location for trail conditions here in the Upper Midwest, and a tool more regions should look into using as their one-stop location for reporting their trail conditions. Yeah, this might not be the most exciting topic, but if you are a trail manager, you definitely will find value in this show. And if you are a rider, you may just learn about a new way to find out what your local trail conditions are or could be. Coolly Creative is the title sponsor for this episode. They design and build custom websites, as well as help companies with branding, photography, and e-commerce. Cooley Creative was started in Wisconsin, but is now based out of Bend, Oregon. Jared from Cooley Creative is a friend of mine. We've traveled together on multiple mountain bike trips, and sometimes he sends it. For more information about Cooley Creative, head on over to www.dujutsendit.com. Yes, that's right, www.dujutsendit will get you to the Cooley Creative website, so check it out. Kettle Mountain Apparel. Kettle Mountain has been huge in terms of affiliate sales for this podcast. Which has allowed me to donate some money back to various trail organizations during the month of November. If you are looking for new activewear, please consider ordering through the affiliate links provided in the show notes. As this not only helps cover the cost of running this podcast, a significant amount of money also gets donated back to nonprofit trail organizations. Now on to the trail effect with the trailbot. Hello. Here we are today on Trail Effect. I have John Sheehan. John is the man behind TrailBot, and TrailBot is a website and an app that can be found on on the Apple App Store and on Google Play, and it basically exists for at least from what I can tell for one reason and one reason only, and that is to keep you up to date with trail conditions for trail use, specifically in the upper Midwest at this, at this moment, but it is expanding. He's now in three states, but You can find them in Minnesota, parts of Wisconsin, and I believe parts of Illinois, correct? That's the third state? Yep. Let's go into the origin story. And I guess more specifically, why you chose to pursue the avenue of telling people about trail conditions and creating more awareness around trail conditions?
0: Sure. So my background is as a software developer, mostly web development. So I've been doing that since the mid-90s, working for myself and various agencies and startups. And uh, I was running a company that got acquired in 2017. And by early 2019, I was free and clear of that and didn't have anything to do Um, and hadn't actually coded for a while and kind of wanted to learn how to uh, make a mobile app because I was a web developer and never really spent any time on the mobile side. And so, you know, kind of always scratching my own itches is the kind of way I, I start projects. And around that same time, I was starting to fat bike and trying to keep up with trail conditions in Minnesota for when the trails were were rideable. So I was new to it. I didn't really understand like all the ins and outs of like why you want to ride after it's groomed and how long it needs to set up after a groom and all the things that go into fat biking and understanding, you know, when is a good time to, to go ride? And where can I go ride? Like which trails are actually available to me at this moment? So, you know, I went out and looking for existing trail conditions and uh, the local like trail group in the Twin Cities, which is called Mork, Minnesota Off-Road Cyclists. They had a webpage, that they had just updated. They had, they used to have this forum where people would make posts in it on the conditions, but they had this webpage that was somewhat newer and more modern. And it basically just listed out, you know, the dozen or so trails in the Twin Cities and what the current status was. And I thought, well, I'll just write something that scrapes all of these updates and then puts them in an app. Mostly again, for my own use, like there there was no real motivation beyond that. And so I whipped together a prototype that did this, and I went on to the uh, Minnesota Mountain Bike Enthusiasts Facebook group, which at the time had, you know, like, five, 6,000 people, and I said, hey, I wrote this app that's, like, watching these trail conditions, and it'll send you a push notification when they change, because that was kind of, like, the main gripe was that you had to go to this webpage over and over again manually and refresh to get updates. Like, there was no way for the updates to be pushed to you. You had to go get them, and, like, pretty quickly, I got, like, a couple hundred people signed up like interested to try the beta, I think it ended up being like a thousand had signed up prior to launching the app. And so I kind of realized I was maybe onto something. And so I updated the bot at the time, uh, to pull updates from Cogs in Duluth, Minnesota as well. And then the Kayuna state recreation area, uh, in Crosby, Minnesota, Crosby, Ironton area. And so the bot would just go out and, and pull their updates from their existing sources, whether it was the Mork website or the Cogs Twitter feeds. And then pull them all in the app and send you a push notification when they changed. And I happened to finish this up in March of 2021, right as dirt season was about to start. And I actually wasn't mountain biking yet. That was my first dirt season too. Uh, and so I didn't actually realize like how much pent up energy there was for dirt season at the end of March going into April. And like, people were just like chomping at the bit. They wanted to know the second the trails open. And so here I had this app that was. Promising, I will send you a push notification the moment that these trails open and you can go. And so uh, I released it like the end of March and like immediately it just caught on. So it was originally called uh, MN Trail Updates and it was just those three uh, trail groups, about uh, 20 some trails, I think, to start. And, you know, it worked. Like people, the trail managers were posting updates and the push notifications were going out. And then very quickly through word of mouth, it just started to spread. And so uh, I think within a couple of weeks, another trail system said, hey, can we get in the app? And I actually had never considered like working directly with trail managers. Like the idea was like it was automated, right? It was just going to scrape these updates and pull them in. And so I said, sure, give me a week. I'll build you a tool to make updates so that you can, you can also push them into the app. And so some of these smaller trail systems that didn't have as many volunteers or as much infrastructure as advanced websites, now suddenly they can make updates. And so one after another through the state of Minnesota, it just spread from trail system to trail system to trail system. You'd ride somewhere that was providing updates via TrailBot, and then you go somewhere else and it didn't. So you'd ask the trail manager, said, hey, can you you know get your updates in TrailBot? And pretty much it just slowly, slowly and steadily spread throughout the state. I think we got to like, we, I say we, it's just me. I should clarify. There's no other (laughs) people working on this. Primarily, it's just me. I just have a habit of saying that from... Uh, running software companies before where there's a collective. But I think it was about 10,000 users within the first year, maybe somewhere around there, maybe five 6,000. I can't remember the exact numbers, but it was growing pretty steadily. And then very quickly had consumed most of the Minnesota trail systems. The problem was the name Minnesota trail updates. One was sort of limiting because uh, there were some in Wisconsin that were already on the app and that wasn't very useful, but also it was very hard to tell people like go, check minnesota trail updates app like it just didn't roll off the tongue like it was a very bad brand so i started thinking well i should give this a, a name and like a brand so like um you know there's other apps out there that people refer to quite easily and you know what they're talking about and so at the time because the bot was still doing the majority of the work you know trail plus bot you know seemed kind of easy I Had a designer friend whip up a logo and i rebranded Trailbot to kind of just give it something to uh a little bit more connectable with people. And I think it was within like just a couple of days you start seeing Facebook posts where people will be like, hey, is such and such trail open? They'd be like, check trailbot, which has become the default answer in Minnesota. I almost feel a little bit bad about it for people who don't know because if you go on Facebook and post, is this trail open? You get deluged with that now. But I guess it does demonstrate the effectiveness of the system. But the trailbot brand just came from wanting to give something you know easier for people to communicate. And then from there, that also helped when, uh, you know, as people were riding in the Twin Cities, they'd go into Wisconsin and ride Wisconsin trails. The Wisconsin Trail managers hear about it. They slowly started coming on board over the last year um, across like 100 trail systems, providing official updates this past year. And then just a couple of weeks ago, Camber and uh, uh, Chicago area, Illinois, they added all their trail systems into it. So that opened up Illinois. There's nothing limiting where the app can go to now. It used to be hard coded, like it literally had Minnesota hard coded into the code. And then I had to go ship a new up add up app update just to add Wisconsin. I don't have to do that anymore. It's a real software app now. So uh it's just kind of slowly organically grown over the past couple years. It now has over 30,000 installs and over 120, almost 125 trail systems that are providing updates. I've sort of given you how it how it started, but how it actually works now is that the bot doesn't actually do anything anymore because all the trail systems are now providing the app up or the updates directly to me. So they've all come on board, Mork, Cogs, Kayuna, they all are now using my my uh, web trail manager to actually provide updates into the app directly and have replaced their old systems with this. It is nice for trail managers because they uh, post to the app, which gives you visibility. again, 30,000 you know riders in the region. But it also can cross post your updates to Facebook. So if you've been updating your Facebook pages uh, consistently, now you don't have to do two things. You can just do it once in TrailBot and it'll send it to Facebook. You could also embed it on your website. So you get one update that just goes everywhere. I've also tried to streamline posting to Instagram. As soon as there's thread support, we'll do that. It used to support uh, Twitter, but Twitter is no longer. So we don't do that anymore. But the idea is that there's a one-stop shop for trail managers to get their uh, official updates out out everywhere so that's that's the gist of how it works
1: on the back end say i'm a trail manager is it like the back end of an app that i can just go on my phone and be like okay the trails are great today because it rained two days ago and now things are dry and we have hero dirt
0: yep so that that's the short version of it yep uh updates are made through a like a mobile friendly web app just to make sure that it's available to the most devices on the most devices but and also on your desktop computer very easily but yeah it's just a simple form it says What trail do you want to update? What are the current conditions? You can attach a couple of little like qualifiers, like hero is one of them, or like groomed recently, dry, dusty, windy, wet, soggy. So, you know, there's like a dozen or so of those. And then uh, you can add up to four pictures and uh, pick which Facebook social media feeds you want to cross post to. You hit update and then it updates everywhere all at once. So it's just, again, like a one-stop shop for updating, for publishing updates.
1: So you'll have to excuse me on this because I'm not super up to speed with all yep. the computer lingo of things because I am yeah, sure. a forty-five year old person that just actually realized recently that Twitter is now X and that that I didn't because <laughs> I just don't pay attention to the stuff. You know what I mean? I, I don't yeah. I purposely try to like like not pay attention to news to keep myself happy. You know, and so like if it doesn't have to do with mountain biking and trails, I probably don't know anything about it. <laughs> but I think that's a good strategy. <laughs> where, I was, where I was going was, I'm assuming there's a quote unquote widget that you could that a, a trail organization, so like say my local trail organization can put on their website. So not only is it on all the Trailbot app places and on your website, it's also on the local trail org website.
0: Yep. So trail trail organizations can can pull the embed, it's called a widget. You had the, the right terminology and an embeddable widget there and put it on their website Sometimes the municipalities that they work with will also put the widget on their website as well. So again, you're getting the one update that's everywhere. You don't have to coordinate multiple people or make updates in multiple places. You enter it once, it shows up in the app, shows up on your Facebook, and it shows up on your website or other people's websites. Um, we've also had bike shops near near Trails also put the status on their website, which is another thing we can do. So if you're a bike shop, you do have to email us directly to get uh, access to that. But again, it's it's a one like a one-stop shop for trail managers. I have a background in like doing like sports league management and stuff like that. And one of the things that I had to do is let people know about weather cancellations. And so I'm very sensitive to the amount of time that takes to constantly be communicating that. And so what I've tried to do is kind of apply some of those same time saving principles for trail managers to just save you as much time as possible. My goal is that it takes you two minutes to get in, make your update, hit post, you don't have to think about anything else, you don't have to think about what other websites or where else do I need to post this. It's just a one-and-done thing that saves you as much time as possible.
1: You just said municipalities, and that's something that I didn't even think about initially. But municipalities sometimes have more control over what's going on at the trails than, say, a local trail org. So, how much or how how has the reception been from municip- municipalities? How many municipalities are you roughly working with? Because I think that is an area, especially as trails become the new uh, sports field, we'll say. Yep. How has that been working with, with municipalities and how have they, I guess, bought into this?
0: Yeah. So, you know, with every trail organization is set up differently, right? Some are in cooperation with the municipalities. Some are um, not. Sort of, <laughs> sometimes in contention <laughs> with <laughs> municipalities. So uh, we've seen it done a couple ways. One is that the trail systems add people from the municipality into their TrailBot account. So every trail can have multiple trail managers. You can have 10 people making updates. You can have one. Sometimes they'll add in people from there, and if the municipality needs to close it, they have the ability to just go in and close it, right? So they can update the app, which again then updates everywhere else all at the same time. So that's that's one option. That's uh, I would say like an ideal option where you know people are collaborating <laughs> together on this instead of you know being surprised that the municipality closed the gate and didn't didn't tell any of the trail managers. So that's kind of maybe the ideal is that you're working more collaboratively with the trail uh, with the municipalities. We do have some trail systems that are are operated solely by municipalities. So this has been kind of a newer thing because um, governments can't necessarily just pick like commercial vendors, you know, without like a bidding process and all of that so that that can get complicated. I don't make money from this, which we can talk about later. So, you know, it's operating more like a nonprofit than a for profit company. It just happens to be owned by an LLC that I have some projects under, but I've started to see less resistance to that from municipalities. I have had certain requests of like, okay, well, we can put this embeddable widget on our website, but you have to take the branding off of it. Like that, like that, those kinds of things. I'm sensitive to those issues and I understand where they're coming from. And I try to do the you know the best I can to work with municipalities in that case. But I have had, like I said, recently like hundred percent operated in trails by municipalities come on board, and I have gotten less concerns about these kinds of issues lately. And I don't know if it's just because the app is more legit now or because there's no money involved currently. So I'm not really sure. I'm just kind of going with the flow on that and seeing how that plays out over time and listening to the feedback I get from municipalities. I'd say like the trickiest one is where the land manager has different rules than the trail association. So I've seen this in some cases where there's like federal land where they technically can't close a trail, right? So the trail is public land. It's owned by all of us. And the trail association does not have authority to tell you that you cannot go there, right? The land management crew does, and they're not doing any sort of communication back and forth with the trail association. So that can get tricky because the trail uh, manager may not have posted an update in a few days, and then somebody goes out there and it's been closed for not even just weather-related reasons, but like trail maintenance or you know hazards or whatever else, and it just didn't get communicated back. In which case, you know, sometimes people complain to me you know, I'm just the messenger. I can't help in that case. But sometimes the land manager will complain to me that the trail says it's open. And I say, Hey, this is being maintained by the trail association. Sometimes they don't even know really like how to talk to each other. That's where it can get really tricky. I just try to, you know, get people connected and and let them work it out and give them some advice on how to best manage that. But, you know, it's those situations are, they were tricky before TrailBot and they're tricky now, I guess, Like I can only solve so many many technical problems and some of the people problems are are a lot harder. Trail
1: conditions, honestly, are a pretty subjective thing. Like I know for me personally, I err on the side of being pretty conservative in terms of like when I think people should should be able to use trails and when they shouldn't be able to use trails. Like I don't, I try to err on the side of like not doing any damage at all. And we're in a very tricky time of the year and probably this year more than many other years because of this this thing that is called El Nino. And it's, I mean, I don't know what it was like where you're at. I'm pretty sure it's the same as where it was, where I was, what it was, where I'm at, where it was like 53 degrees and raining on Christmas. Yep. And last year it was like eight and like, we had a we had blizzard and warnings. Feet of snow. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. You know? And so that's, it's, I always just try to err on the side of like, Hey, if, if the trails are kind of muddy or if they're even close to maybe being muddy, try to find something different to do to keep the longevity of their surface but that's just an i'm using that as an example of like how i could be different than say jim over here who like doesn't really think anything of using muddy trails yep you know and he thinks they're fine
0: (laughs) yep that brings up two two interesting points one uh First of all, we don't require trails to use open closed nomenclature. If you if you just want to provide text updates and status updates with without opening and closing, that is totally fine. That is a, like we can remove that badge from your updates and you can basically treat them like tweets or, you know, social media updates. So that's the first thing. If you if you can't close your land or if you can't close your trails because you don't have control over that or your trails never close, then you don't have to use the, the open and closed badges. So that's one thing that gives some trail managers some flexibility on that. The second thing you bring up, though, is like, how do you know like what the local like custom is for a trail? Right. So people in the Midwest will always hear, oh, and the PNW, if they close, you know, if it rain, if they close in a rain, we'd never ride. Right. Well, OK, that's the local custom there. And if I travel out there, I may not know that at first, but like very quickly, I'll pick that up. Right. That 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 everything's open all the time or we have trail systems in Minnesota that dry out faster and they technically never close. You, you wait an hour after it rains and then it, you go. I think there's a, a a problem in the mountain bike trail conditions universe <laughs> that there's a lot of assumptions about what people should know about how a trail operates, right? So every trail is different. Every trail dries out different. Every trail handles weather different. And trail managers occasionally will fall into the trap of like, well, I just said last time or it's posted on our website that you need to wait 24 hours after a rain. You should know this, right? There's kind of a you should know this. Now, I think this has gotten a lot better. It's happening less, but there are some trail systems that don't want to use Trailbot because the vibe I get from them is that people should know when it's okay to ride. Well, people don't know. And like the long tail of riders is not paying that close enough attention. They're, you know, they have other things going on. This is not their main, you know, way they spend their time and attention. They're just like, hey, I got a couple hours. Where can I go ride? What's open? And what are the conditions there? Like, where can I even go right now? They haven't been following every update you've made in the history of time. Their local trail might be closed. And so they're going to go somewhere else that they're maybe not familiar with. And they're new to your trail and they're new to your local, you know, weather customs. And so what I try to advise trail managers is you should make every update as if the person reading it is reading your updates for the first time, like educate them every time. Right. So not only will that help you repeat the important parts so that it sticks with people who are reading them consistently people who are new or coming in will be now accustomed to how your trail operates and they'll get more comfortable and be more willing to ride your trail when it's available. And maybe their, their local one isn't. So that is a really, it's kind of you know, one of the kind of like gatekeeping problems that the bike industry has of the many gatekeeping problems that the bike industry has this sort of idea that like you should know, but if you only ride a couple times a year or you've never ridden a trail system, they shouldn't know. And like, it should be up to the communicators to hopefully make it easy and accessible for them to understand you know what's available to ride and how to react if it starts raining or it rained that morning and you haven't had a chance to make update yet. I do try to make more data points available to people in the app to offset some of this, uh, like sometimes there's information gaps. So like, let's say it rains on Saturday night overnight and your your trail is being maintained by a combination of a municipality and a trail system, and no one is out there at seven am. in the morning to check to see if the trail is ready, right? So this is surprisingly common <laughs> in my in my world where people complain to me I get sometimes get bad app reviews because of this like almost exact situations. So no one was available Sunday morning at seven a m. to check it. You want to go somewhere that's maybe a couple hours away, so you would like an an answer at seven so that you can drive and get there by nine or ten or whatever. Well, it's volunteers, right? So no one's going to be making this. The municipality is probably not working over the weekend. You're 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 on your own to sort of like make your best judgment call. So if there has been recent rain, the app will now show you in the main update in the main feed how much recent participation precipitation has happened in the area. So if you see, hey, there was two inches, then like maybe that gives you a signal that that's not going to work out for you. It doesn't quite do this yet. But the idea is that if there also has been recent precipitation, that the trail's weather policy will automatically be posted. Like, so if it says, like, uh, give the trail manager a threshold that says, there's been more than a half an inch of rain than our weather policy is it's closed for 24 hours and put that in the feed automatically. So somebody doesn't have to make that update at 7am. So I'm trying to add like hints and context and and give people more data points. So they're not relying solely on the text update, or, or the open close indicator from trail managers, just give them another data point so that if they are watching a trail over time, they can see oh on the weekends, maybe we don't get updates as frequently as I'd like. But I can see that there was rain. I can see what the weather policy is. I can make a more informed decision about whether I should go ride there without having to rely on somebody being up at the crack of dawn with a soil moisture monitor (laughs) and trying to determine whether or not a trail is rideable or not. I'd say like my number one source of bad reviews is trails that don't update as often as people like, which is really sad because I'm not, I'm giving them all the tools to do it. I'm not really responsible for that. And also the person making the review has, usually unrealistic expectations on volunteers time. But, you know, again, if I can add more context, maybe we can, uh, you know, offset some of that. Well, and I've got an updating issue that
1: I've heard frequently, and especially this last summer is, hey, there hasn't been an update posted on so-and-so's website for two weeks or three, or maybe even three weeks. And the reality is, is that it didn't, like nothing had actually changed in the last two to three weeks because like this last summer, we had a really dry summer, right? Yep. And it's like, so how do, so how do you like let people know that you know an update hasn't been made because there actually hasn't been a change and it's the yep. same as it was last Saturday as it is today,
0: yep so that that's a really good question. So this is something else I try to coach trail managers on. I have a blog post in the works about this on like how and why to update when nothing has changed, right? so the first thing is is that there's a feature in the app called confirm status so uh every. About every seven days, if you haven't made an update, you'll get an email reminder that says, Hey, we haven't heard from you in seven days. Please make an update. If nothing has changed, just click this button and that the, the timestamp in the app will update, but the the tech nothing else changes, right? So no one gets a text notification or a push notification or anything like that. But if you go into the app, it'll say it was updated today, right? So it kind of offsets that like delay, right? So that's one thing. Two. There's almost always something going on that's worth updating for, like saying, hey, it's still dry, but we're having trail work this week or no trail work this week or something else going on on the trail that's worth mentioning that if people are following the trail and the app are going to be interested in. Right. So that's another thing is like you can just say, hey, it's still dry out there. You know, watch out. And the turns are getting a little dusty and loose. And also we're having trail work this week. So it gives you a chance to, to, you know, uh, advertise that. So that's one thing. I think the, the reminder email that goes out, if you haven't updated in seven days, and it doesn't bug you every day until you do, um, it won't bug you more often than every three days. But that's another thing that's, that's helped a lot. So I think the rate of updates, if I look across the board in all trails, is higher than it's ever been. So as people are getting more familiar with TrailBot, as they're seeing the reminder and thinking, oh yeah, I should make an update. And also being able to just one click you know, kind of confirm the existing status so that it doesn't look so old, like out of date. Um, I think that is on the whole, like increasing the rate at which updates are being made. But I go back to like, I always try to counsel riders that these are volunteers. For most people, it is not their primary focus in life. We have jobs and families and other hobbies and other things that we're doing. It's not always for most people, the first thing that they think about or are working on. And that like, If it's been dry for three weeks and they haven't made it update in three weeks, then that's the, then that's, that's the status. Like that's just the status. Like it doesn't need to be more complicated than that. Like, does it change anything for whether you can ride if it says it was updated a day ago versus three weeks ago, the conditions are the same. So you have to use your best judgment is what it ultimately comes down to. I'm trying to provide as many day points as I can. But when I get this feedback that like people aren't updating enough, I try to, you know, sort of give them the trail manager's perspective that. Nothing has changed. I'm on vacation, you know those sorts of things. They're they're human human beings on the other side of those updates with 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 full complete lives that maybe don't include standing in a mountain bike trail checking conditions constantly. Well, and you just brought
1: up a secondary use for this app, which I didn't even think about or know about. Which is, hey, trail conditions are what they are, but we have trail work tonight, and so this it sounds like it also provides just another point of communication that maybe like I get. Asked regularly through my podcast platform, like, hey, start an email list. And I don't, I'm not a big su- subscriber to putting, making email lists because I don't want to spam people. But this is another way that, like, is super logical for people to go check to say, hey, what's happening with my trail system?
0: Yeah. And, and the That's stuff that I want to work on, right. The stuff I want to work on over this winter, a lot of it has to do with volunteer management. So contacting your existing volunteer base, maybe tracking hours, that sort of stuff, something, stuff you see on some other apps, but, you know, trail managers are here and they want one, one-stop shop for this. And then also a way to communicate things like events, like, hey, the trail is open this weekend, but you know, there's a NICA race. And so good luck finding parking, right? That's not really a trail condition, right? There's no trail segment of the trail that that affects specifically, right? It has nothing to do with weather or riding conditions or anything. But it does affect the logistics of whether or not you should go to that trail. So, you know, my my kind of slap together slogan is no before you go. My goal is where can I go ride right now? That's the question I want to answer. Where can I go ride right now? And if there's a huge event going on at the trail system, the answer is I probably do not want to go ride that right now, even if it was perfect conditions, right? So I'm very interested. Uh winter is when I get to work on new features since I own a bike shop and during the summer it's it's you know uh very busy. So over this winter, that's a a big focus is how do we communicate other things going on at the trail or around the trail that maybe affect your ability or desire to go ride at that trail system that aren't necessarily weather related.
1: You just brought up a fun fact that I didn't even know, which we're going to get back to, so we don't go off on a tangent right now. Which is that
0: you own a bike shop. I do. I st- I opened one l- last April. Probably the best possible time in history to open a bike shop. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say
1: it may have been the tail end of the best, and then it and then it quickly transformed into the worst.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it it's uh it's been a learning experience. It's been a lot of fun. I think that's a whole nother podcast <laughs> or three. You know, it, it's going it's honestly it's going great though. Um we've had a really good first year and a half. We like um, you know, because everything's on sale, we buy everything on sale, we sell everything on sale, so we're still making money. Uh, you know, like a lot of shops that have been around a lot longer, we don't have a lot of the problems that the pandemic maybe caused for them on the on the tail end. So, you know, we're we're having a good time, things are good. We're <laughs> we're uh selling a lot of e-bikes in particular so um you know it's 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 actually really not a bad time to start a lot of good companies are started during downturns and I'm hoping that we are one of them but it does mean that during the summer I don't really work on Trailbot at all I make sure it's working and running but like from you know March to October I don't really ship any new features I kind of just let it ride and then over the winter when I have more time during our downtime our down season I do work on adding more features to that
1: well before we get off and on- on that tangent too far. I'm I am gonna bring that back up before we close this one. But All right. let's go into <laughs> let's go back to Trailbot and one of the topics that you brought up to me was how is it different than Trailforks?
0: Yep. So I think Trailforks is an amazing app. Obviously, like the amount of data that's in there is incredible. I think there's two faults that I found with Trailforks. One is that it's too granular. So like if a blue trail at my local trail system is unavailable to ride or the conditions are bad there's still lots of other things available to me to ride, right? Either other segments there or other trail systems nearby. So it doesn't really answer the where can I go, and go ride right now question. It answers like once I get there, where should I ride? Where, what are the maps? And in all the tra- in TrailBot, all the trails link to Trailforks, so that when you get there, you can pull up TrailForks and see the maps for the, the area. And like the conditions down to like a specific trail level if that's relevant to a trail system. The second thing is that it mostly relies on crowdsourced data. So I'm decidedly and very strongly opposed to any sort of crowdsourced data in TrailBot. I'd say like this is maybe where the most amount of people in the community disagree with me other than trail managers. Trail managers vehemently agree with me on this. So the main reason is, is that we want to avoid the situation where a trail manager says, hey, it's closed. Don't ride. And then somebody else comes along and says, Well, I just rode it and it was great. Right. And now other people are saying, Well, this guy's saying it's great, right? But the trail manager is saying it's closed. Well, who cares what the trail manager says? If the trail's in good condition, I'm gonna go ride it. Right. Like that's that's the main conflict I'm trying to avoid is somebody contradicting an official update. Because again, the trail manager may not be closing it just because of trail conditions. There may be a a deer hunt or, uh, you know, again, there's numbers, of many reasons why a trail closes outside of the condition of the dirt, right? So I'm trying to avoid that conflict. But also there's very little incentive. There's no incentive alignment for individual people to make updates other than to like serve their own interests, right? So and their own interests generally conflict with the trail managers interest which is maintaining sustainable trails and the trail the riders interest are just riding when when they want to ride right so there's kind of an inherent conflict there also moderating like any sort of user generated content is extremely time consuming and this is a side project so i don't have time to be moderating like updates or banning people or making sure that people are are providing accurate information I don't have time to build all the software around like reporting issues. Like, you know, like all of these features take time and effort and human like attention that I just have very little of. Right. So that's why I'm like decidedly against crowdsourcing. But if you do go on Trail Forks and you want a crowdsource update on a specific trail segment, then it's there. And, you know, it's usually three, four weeks old. And then who do you complain to? Right. Like, who do you ask to make an update? Who do you like where do you go? There's like there's no there's no person to talk to on that. You can't go to, you know, Joe Schmo rides bikes, you know, username and say, Hey, can you provide an update? Right. There's no there's just no incentive for them to do that. They provided an update when they happen to be there, but there's just no ongoing motivation for someone to do that. So one, the data is just not like, you know, there's more people making updates, but the is worse and less timely and it's too granular. So for trail forks it just did not satisfy the question, where can I go ride right now? With that being said, knowing that there needs to be some
1: redundancy and whoever is operating this on the other on the user end which would be, you know, your local local trail organization, maybe a bike shop, maybe a municipality, we you know we've talked about all those as being an end user in terms of how they can provide updates. How many people typically from say an organization are TrailBot users that can actually put an update in. So you don't have the crowdsourcing, but if Jane, who is supposed to do the updating is on vacation in BC at maybe Whistler and isn't at, in, you know, Minneapolis, how yep. does, how do those trail updates happen then? You know, so how many yep. people do you typically have or what's a recommendation, I guess is a better question
0: for how many people. More than one is the recommendation, you know, in, in less software. than hundred, <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, it's software, We have this thing called the bus factor, which is h- how many people can get hit by a bus on this team for the project to still operate. Which is, you know, a very morbid way of putting it. But, you know, I'd say more than one is ideal. It seems to be pretty like highly correlated with like the popularity and size of the trail system, right? So, although we'll see sometimes large trail systems that only have like two people doing it, the answer is ideally more than one. But you can have one or as many as you want. So I think the most one has it would be like maybe fifteen is what one of our bigger systems has. And that's also because they're looping in the their broader like parent organization and municipality, people from the municipality too, right? So they've got a lot of like parts there. When any of them makes an update, they all get an email saying an update was made. So they're all always up to date with knowing who made the latest update.
1: Does it actually tell you who made the update? So like if, if yep. Jane goes yep. in and makes an update, John, who may be the other updater knows that Jane
0: made the update. Exactly. Yep. Got it. Yep. And on the back end, I keep a full history of all the updates. So occasionally there'll be some confusion. Somebody come to me and say, hey, who made this update? And like, we'll, you know, track it down for them. But it's it's all tracked like by person and, you know, time and all that. So like, I'd say like maybe the ideal is like three or four, right? Because like, usually you've got people who are working full time who are not available during the week to check it. They maybe are your weekend crew. And then you've got a couple of people who are retired or, you know, doing something else that frees up their weekdays and they're checking in on the weekdays. Usually though, I'd say for most trails, there's like a point person who tends to be the one that really drives it and like really maintains it. Now that's probably a good strategy, right? Is like you want somebody who's like keeping tabs on it, making sure it's not, you know, that it's happening and that, you know, people aren't posting conflicting updates and all of that. But there's usually like with each trail system, there's usually like one person who I tend to talk to who is like the main driver for it at an at an organization.
1: So here's the next question, topic that you brought up, or maybe it's, no, it's one that I have in here that I've highlighted. How do trail systems get added to TrailBot? Say you're not in Minnesota, Wisconsin. Say you're, I'm going to bring up a trail system that I think should be added or, or an organization that I think would be really good, a really good ad, which is AMBC in Knoxville, Tennessee. How would like an AMBC in Knoxville, Tennessee Get added to the trail bot.
0: Yep. So one of the ways to make sure that I'm only dealing with people who are authorized, more or less authorized to make official trail updates, is that it is like a like a manual reach out. There's no self service way to start. Someday there will be. Like there'll be. You put all your trail details in, and I'll approve you, and you go live. Right now, you contact me and you say, "Hey, I'm from Trail System in Knoxville. We you know we like what Trailbot's doing. Can we can we include it?" And I say. Yeah, great. And I'll go check to make sure that they are on the board. The first question is, are you a maintainer of this trail? Almost always. Right. And then, you know, yeah, yeah, we're the I'm on the board, blah, blah, blah. You know, like for like Camber in Illinois, they all had Camber email addresses. Really easy to vet. Right. Also, I think I did a Zoom call with their board, which, by the way, I'm well. Oh, well like, I will do a Zoom call with your board at your next meeting. If you want me to give you the spiel, how it works and talk through it, I will happily meet with your board and and uh and work all that out. Once i sort of pre vetted it to make sure that somebody who has like the is an official trail maintainer, then I send them a form to gather some information. And then I manually put it into the system and then send you an invite to the trail manager. And as soon as you make an update, then it's live in the app. So it used to be limited to Minnesota and Wisconsin just because of, like I told you, it was hard coded into the app. It is now I can add new geographies without having to ship a new update to the app stores. So if anyone from anywhere in the US, uh, it is limited to the U.S. right now. Next will be Canada, but right now it's U.S. only. If you're anywhere in the U.S., uh, we can get you added. It also doesn't have to be like a state. So, like if let's say like Sedona wanted to have its own section separate from the rest of uh, Arizona, we could make a a region basically like that. That would be separate from the from like Arizona as the whole.
1: I'm gonna make a a, a country suggestion after Canada, which would be Australia. Yeah, and that's purely based on
0: where I know my listeners'
1: numbers come from.
0: My oh, number yeah? two
1: country used to be Canada. Now my number two country, yeah. obviously my number one country is the United States.
0: Number two country is now Australia. Yeah. I mean, I would love to have it be worldwide someday. That would be super fun. You know, international software is very complicated these days with like GD- GDRP and all that stuff. Um, did I say GRP? That's not right. Man, I'm really... See, like I'm not, I'm so removed from the business now. I'm not even getting the... Uh, the acronyms are right anymore. Now I'm. not it's gonna. Well, blow I don't. Me. Anyway, I, I
1: don't even know what you're talking about. So you could tell me anything, and I'm gonna believe it.
0: <laughs> uh, like d- user user privacy data data controls that sort of stuff. Every country has different laws. Like Europe's are very strict. U.S. could learn from them a little bit on how to protect user privacy a little bit. But like uh, that kind of sort of. Limits like my ability to just like turn it on in Europe, for instance. Also, internationalizing the app. Australia would be great because I, they speak mostly the same language as us. So, you know, that would be an easier one. But like there's international app store restrictions based on country. So there's like actual, like legitimate legal issues to work through to, to go into additional countries outside the US. So right now I'm limited to the US again, mostly to protect my time and, and legal expenses.
1: Well, I'm glad you dove into that because it helps people understand some of the complexities of, of going outside of the United States. I'm going to get into another complex issue that you brought this word up. I don't know anything about it. I hear it all the time. I don't even pronounce it right half time, but that's algorithms. Yeah. People on, like, I guess you could say influencers will say like YouTube influencers, Instagram influencers, they're always complaining about the algorithm. Like the algorithm totally tanked my thing. And the reality is, is like the algorithm is what it is. And yep, I'm honestly curious about algorithms because I don't really understand them.
0: Yep. So all of the social media feeds that are out there are now tuned to try to maximize your engagement. How many times you click on it, how much time you spend on the site and all of those things, right? Because the more time you're around those feeds, the more ads they can show you, the more ads you're likely to click on. So algorithms, Facebook algorithm is the the logic that decides what the, the feed will show you, right? And so they're all tuned. For maximum engagement used to not be this way early on in social media. Everything was just straight, you know, chronological order. Instagram started that way. You saw all the people you followed in the order that they posted, and same with Twitter. And that's sort of like first generation social media. Well, Facebook came along, they started that way, but they realized if we sort of tailor your feed to your interests, then we can keep you on the site longer and show you more ads and hopefully make more money, right? And so then like you follow that to its logical conclusion, if you look at like the TikTok for you page, that is the most finely tuned algorithm in social media at the moment. It is kind of ridiculous how accurate that feed can be for determining what you're interested in and then showing it to you over and over again. It's very, very good at that. So these algorithms have come a long way. And now that TikTok is huge, the amount of I would say like tuning to those algorithms is going to another level. Right. So every every feed is tuned to show you something that they think you're going to be interested in and hopefully stick around. So you click more ads. The downside of this is that if you're trying to provide timely updates, the algorithm doesn't know necessarily that those are interesting because people haven't liked them enough yet. So like a post you made five days ago has accumulated some likes and is maybe telling the algorithm people who like this kind of content should see this kind of content. So that they'll put that right at the top of your feed. Whereas something that you posted an hour ago is still kind of getting trained or data for the, the algorithm to determine whether to be posted. For you, it's very time sensitive as a trail manager, right? Like, hey, it's raining right now or it's about to rain, don't go ride. And someone logs into Facebook and the first thing they see is a post from three days ago that says, trails riding great, have a good time, <laughs> right? That's not the most useful thing. So there's a huge mismatch between providing timely updates and providing and Facebook's goals for their algorithm, which is maximizing engagement. So the Facebook feeds, which is where most people who start when they go into Facebook, you see a feed, are completely failing trail managers. Now, trail managers still love to post on Facebook. It's gotta be the number one place where people are posting trail updates. And it is great because there's a feedback loop. You post an update, someone can comment on it, someone can like it. It feels tangible, right? It feels like you've You've made something that you can tell people are seeing, right? And that and that feedback loop is very powerful. I mean, that's another reason why social media works. You put something out, you start getting likes, you get that endorphin rush, and you do it again and again and again, right? So so Facebook is very addictive for trail managers for this reason, because it feels more tangible than posting to an app that goes out into the ether, and you're not getting necessarily the feedback that like people are seeing it, right? And so people continue to post on Facebook because they have an audience there. Uh, a shrinking audience but an audience there and so that addictions maybe that's too strong a word but like that feedback loop is very hard to break so but on the whole i would say that facebook algorithm the the facebook algorithm is failing trail managers very very much the fact that your old updates will show up before your new updates is just like a complete miss feature wise for how people are trying to use facebook to distribute these updates now again, the audiences are there. You can see how many people like your page. It feels very tangible, and I totally get that. I have tried to like offset that as much as possible. So, if you make an update robot, you can connect your Facebook account and you can make posts to any of your fa- pages at once, right? So you're still feeding that audience for people who still prefer to go to Facebook to get updates. Unfortunately, I mean a little bit. I think updates. You know, I'm in the interest of full disclosure. I do think that updates that people make typing into Facebook directly versus cross posting from another app. I think the app ones are uh, downranked a little bit, like they don't get the same juice that somebody manually putting something else in. Unfortunately, that's just another signal that Facebook is using for engagement, that automated posts are not something people are as, as interested in. The other thing about Facebook algorithm is a lot of people don't like how it's being used to manipulate society in various ways. And I'll just leave it at that, that commentary there. And so, less and less people are using Facebook. There's also a whole generation of people who are nowhere near Facebook and won't go anywhere near it. So, if you want to attract a broader audience of riders, Facebook is not it. And so, the tangibility, that feeling, is great, but the downsides to me are like much greater than the than the upsides. So, I'm trying my best to make features available and to make uh, Trailbot work so that you can do both at at one in one spot and. Um, you know, as again, as new things come along, if I could make, you know, a funny TikTok out of your trail updates, I would gladly automate that for you if I could. If Threads is working on an API, Threads is a great medium for this kind of update. You know, it's very, you know, Twitter-esque. And so as soon as there's a uh, the ability for me to automate messages to Threads, I will add that feature. But on the whole, like, I, I would try to advise trail managers to think of your social networks as like your secondary channel and not your primary channel. Because facebook and the like just don't really stand to benefit from your updates and therefore they're not going to be promoted the way that you would hope
1: so i have to ask this is again goes back to my ignorance with with the internet currently threads is in instagram what the what is i've just noticed it in the last couple weeks popping up in my instagram feed but i don't know what it really is
0: so you know twitter has notoriously i won't i refuse to call it the other thing, like okay. you know, I was, I was very, I was very early on Twitter. The fact that it's been, how do I put this delicate so destroyed? I, I'm
1: assuming John does not have a Tesla. <laughs> uh, no, no,
0: I'm actually sitting in my F-150 lightning right now. I was going to say, uh, I think you're sitting yeah. in an F-150. I couldn't tell it was a lightning, but I could tell from the yeah. moonroof because yeah. it's the
1: same as mine. And I was yeah. just actually at the Ford. Um, this is total side tangent. I was just actually, I just did a Ford F-150 factory tour like a week and a half ago or two weeks ago. Where they're actually building light yeah. and so like, that's yeah. another reason why I kind of could tell where you're, what you're in.
0: It, it's a, a vehicle that drives itself that doesn't want to kill me. So anyway, back to Twitter, you know, Twitter was a very, like, great for, like, real-time sort of what's going on, right? Like news alerts and National Weather Service alerts and all earthquake alerts and all, all these things, right? And so, you know, as it's been, you know, as, in its it decline, Facebook saw an opportunity to try to get into the, the text-based you know, stream of updates, right? And that's where threads came along. So it did start with the Instagram team and brand. And part of that was their way to like bootstrap a a network because the network is the hardest thing to build for a social network, the actual people using it. So they use the Instagram audience for that. And it's mostly text-based. However, the main feed is algorithmic. It is not who you follow in chronological order. You can get to that if you want, but the main feed is still algorithmic. So it will still have some of the same issues the Facebook feed has and the Instagram feed has of like, Why can't I see what my friends are actually posting? Why are you showing me an ad every three posts on Instagram, followed by a suggested post every, you know what I mean? So it will have that same problem over time as it grows and they add ads and they tune that algorithm. However, the medium itself of like text-based updates in a more like sort of real-time feeling environment, it is very well suited to that.
1: So with that, you had a question or a comment in, in our email string. And that is, how do you make money? Or I'm gonna say, better yet, do you make money? <laughs> and I and I say that because some people think that this podcast is my way of making money. And if it is, man, I'm I'm hurting. Yeah, because <laughs> I yeah. didn't get into it to make money, nor do I <laughs> right. really make any money on it. So, so right. let's hear your let's hear your side of this and kind of your are taking all of this because I think we all get into this with a with you know this being a side hustle or a hobby. But then at some point, it actually does. Get to be pretty time consuming, and there's sure. value there.
0: Yep. So, Trobot today does not make money by deliberate choice by design. So, by design. Yep. So, two things. If I charge app users, or like, oh, let's go back to the one. When are you going to put ads in it? Is maybe like that's the first thing people think for making money. At thirty thousand installs, there there's no ad that I can put in the app that will make it worth the time that I had to spend coding to put ads in the app. Right. So if I make a couple hundred dollars a year from the ads, which would be probably like lucky at this size, like that's let's go with uh, like three to four hours of development time. And it's going to take me more than that to ship that update. Right. So, first of all, just ads are just a no go subscriptions or like sometimes people want to like a premium version or like a supporter, sometimes donation things. Most of those things on the non technical side would cause more work accounting and legal wise than I have time for. So I'm not interested in that either. So it would cost more to get set up to take those than it would, than I would make from them. So there's no like user way that is lucrative for me to make it that also wouldn't just destroy the app experience. So there's there's no, there's like, there's no point in, in charging riders. Trail managers are volunteer organizations for the most part. There are some commercial entities like ski resorts and stuff in there, but for them, let's like 95% of them are volunteers, like, not even like necessarily working on the same trails from year to year. It's like new people and like with no budgets, right? Like very, very small budgets if there is one, but for the most part, no budget. So there's no point in like trying to charge trail managers. Also, if I charge trail managers. They just won't make updates. They won't join the app. and They won't make updates and there's no point to it. So free forever for trail managers. The, the caveat there is that someday I may add like additional features outside the core and like maybe charge these commercial the ski resorts if they want to use them. Still very unlikely given the amount of time that I have to spend on the app to like actually build out all the infrastructure for that. But generally core functionality for trail managers 100 percent free forever. And I will like boldly make that promise now and hope hope to not eat my words someday. Yep. The last thing is is that my server hosting bill, I think my last month for Google was like three dollars and 40 cents. So like hard outlay of cash is very minimal. I consider like my hosting bills like my I pay a subscription so that no one else has to, right? Like I'm the only subscribed user and therefore no one else has to uh to pay for it. So, very very inexpensive to run, does not demand much of my time, provides a service that I use and enjoy and like, so like adding money to it would really just ruin the whole thing. I've thought about doing things like you know, your home state is free pay if you go to an, like a one time fee to unlock all the states, you know, like something like that, that may still happen someday, but it would have to get to a point where the app is is big enough to justify the time spent doing that and the customer service behind that and the refund handling, and they, like all the things that go into like taking money from people that I'm just not interested in. If people are really, really motivated to try to support the app, please come to the bike shop. That's a great way to support the app. I do print jerseys. Um, I'm. I think I'm down to like we did inventory yesterday. I think I'm down to just a handful of them. You can buy the jersey through our website. I will ship it to you if you, even though it doesn't say shipping on there, but you know stuff like that where there's like kind of secondary benefits where you can, if you if you really really want to, you know you can do that. I would rather if you're thinking, man, I wish I could give TrailBot money. I wish you would just turn around, go to your local trail organization, and give them that money and say, in honor of TrailBot, like that's that's <laughs> the way that I would rather people express monetary gratitude for the app is just give it to your trail system. They can use it and put it to work much better than I can.
1: Let's go back to your bike shop since you brought it up. Okay. So I I just want to rewind back to the beginning of this conversation. TrailBot started in 2019 because you weren't quite sure of how to use or when to use trails. okay? So we're gonna say that's four years ago. How do you go from basically, I'm I'm gonna assume at that point, a pretty new user to owning a bike shop? (laughs)
0: so i mean partly because of the pandemic i mean the pandemic is probably like the biggest part of the story that like inspired this path right so i'm riding very casually pre-pandemic pandemic Pandemic comes along suddenly you know my other hobbies are unavailable bikes are available bike shops are still open like you know for a while i was able to find the bikes that i wanted they're available for a little bit (laughs) yeah right so i just start riding a lot more and really get into the riding, right? But bike shop service swamped, right? So can't get stuff fixed. You know, I am I got time at home. I'm bored. I'll learn to fix bikes. So I'm, I'm at the point where like, okay, I'm starting to do more and more of my own maintenance and like not, you know, getting kind of beyond the basics and really enjoying the working with my hands part. Because after 25 years of sitting behind a desk typing, like actually working on something tangible was very satisfying. And so... You know, after I had sold my company and and got out in 2019, uh, you know, I was taking a little break to recover from burnout and all of that and like starting to think about like, how can I get back working again? And like, I really enjoyed this working with my hands on bikes thing. So around that time, a friend of mine says, Hey, he said two things actually in two separate conversations. One of them he said was, Man, it would be so cool. I dream about like retiring someday and just, you know, wrenching on bikes. And like, you know, doesn't that sound cool? I'm like, Yeah, that does sound cool. Again, thinking nothing beyond like the romantic idea of that, <laughs> like not really getting into it beyond that. and then later on, he says uh local community college now is a bike repair program, and so i I look about it, I look into it. it's a semester and a half long. it's like very structured and like I needed structure very badly at that point in my life because I was kind of just like drifting around kind of like again, very burnt out from all my startup experiences and pandemic stress and all that and like the structure of it was very appealing. And, you know, a semester and a half is a little longer than maybe like I would have liked, but like, you know, it was doable and it covered everything from like, literally how to turn a screwdriver up to servicing suspension, right? So like a huge wide array of stuff. So I I enrolled and I did that in the fall of 2021. I'm trying to get my years right here. Fall of 21. Yeah, because I opened last year and then into the spring. And then I was like, you know what? I think a part-time job at a bike shop would be fun. So I sent out a couple emails, emails, uh, you know, February, 2022 saying, Hey, I'm looking for part-time work. And I didn't get any replies. <laughs> Which is
1: kind of strange because the bike shop owners I know, like couldn't find staff.
0: Yeah, I know. I agree. If somebody sent me that email in February, by the way, please do because. Because you're probably looking for finding, staff. Finding st- Finding staff is the hardest part of the job. So anyway. I, I got no replies from my favorite shops in the area. And right around that time, I happened to be driving by something that was a mile from home, a space that said for lease on it. And I went to look at it. And I was like, this looks right. And it looks good. And I've started business before. I was very comfortable with the, like the starting and operating a business part of it. And I was like, you know what? Let's do it. So part of it was like ignorance. I had been casually researching what it goes into a bike shop for like a year. But like I made tremendous upfront mistakes. <laughs> like. I have about half as much space as I should have gotten, but if I got that much space, I probably wouldn't like I, the finances would be all messed up. So like it would not be working how it is. So while I would love to have more space right now, the business is doing fine because we don't have too much space, right? So I also like didn't quite fully appreciate just how bad the the supply chain was. Like I knew it was bad, but like I didn't know how bad bad it was. So. I basically opened. I didn't really know if I was going to have bikes. Like I went into it thinking I'll just do repair for a year until things settle down. And, uh, that almost was had to be the case because getting bike brands was nearly impossible, but thankfully I was able to scoop up a couple of good ones. And then, you know, what we learned from the first season last year, we, you know, upgraded our brands this year and did like tripled our business from year one to year two. And like, uh, now all the brands are clamoring for us (laughs) because, we had a good year and we know how to sell e-bikes for instance. And we are like, you know, more established now, you know, brands are calling us up and saying, Hey, would you like to sell our bikes? Um, And not just like, you know, random internet or like, you know, foreign e-bike brands, like, like good ones. And they're like, well, we'll fill out your paperwork. Like they're all, you know, they're all overstocked. So they're all just banging our door down now since we actually had, you know, a good year of selling lots of bikes. So, you know, we, I've made missteps and learned along the way, and I think if I had known more about it, I wouldn't have done it. So sometimes ignorance is bliss. Like you know, I, I like solving problems, and this industry is full of problems. And so every day is a new challenge, and uh, it's a good time. And you know, I've been lucky to have good people, you know, come through and and be able to work at the shop. I have an amazing full time mechanic who just walked in one day and said, "My shop's shutting down. I hear you're hiring." I said, "Okay, show me what you can do in ten minutes." And I said, "You're hired," and he's still here, you know, almost a year and a half later. And I had a, another local shop owner who retired in 2019, walk by and see my four hiring sign. He had 40 years of experience, comes in, basically acts as a mentor, you know, puts some hours in, is a great guy. I just moved a couple doors down from him where, you know, we went ice skating on the lake the other day before it melted again. So like, you know, I've been really lucky that, you know, I've had these people fall into, fall into my lap and, and, um, you know, it's been, it's been the most satisfying work as uh i'd say like as dysfunctional as the bike industry is (laughs) the actual day-to-day of owning the shop and seeing a kid get their first bike or uh you know a, a high school racer upgrade to a nicer bike and then come back and say hey i finished 10 spots higher i mean those i mean you can't you can't get that in software there's just there are no moments like that uh in software so you know, the like I said, the day to day of running the bike shop is is a ton of fun, and and I'm I'm super glad I did it, even though I probably wouldn't do it again if I knew what I knew now.
1: Well, we have to ask the important questions. What's the name of the bike shop? Where are you located? And what are the brands you stock?
0: Yep. Yeah, so it's called Rome R O A M Bike Shop. Uh, we're in White Bear Lake, Minnesota, so in the northeast suburbs of the Twin Cities, just about 15 minutes uh, north of St. Paul. And we stock Revel mountain bikes. We saw stock Salsa and. And then Marin on the uh, non-electric side, and on the electric side, we're one of the top Velotric dealers in the country. And then we just picked up Gazelle for the next season, so we'll mostly be doing Velotric and Gazelle for for electric bikes.
1: Nice. And Revel is a brand that, if people don't know about it, it gets like some of the best reviews of any. I mean, like anybody I know that's had a Revel has and have and have had comparable other brand bikes can't like say enough good things about the
0: way that suspension platform works. They're incredible. I mean, you know, you read a review where it says something climbs like a hardtail, and then you go ride it, and it actually climbs like a hardtail, and you you almost can't believe it. Like those those bikes are are amazing. So we're we're very happy to be the you know the only Revel dealer in the Twin Cities, the exclusive Revel dealer in the Twin Cities, and we just got on that that early, and and uh, we like finding brands that maybe are a little like under the radar, and then to go along with maybe our more mainstream brands.
1: Yeah, and I would say they're getting pretty mainstream because people who know know yeah and i don't yep. know if you sell their other stuff but they also have other bike brands under that umbrella
0: yep their titanium stuff is amazing the y big iron now now the revel big iron titanium fat bike is easily the best bike we've assembled and the r plus gravel bikes too titanium gravel bikes i got one of the carbon gravel bikes from them, the uh, rover but i am i'm 90 sure that i'm going to be Switching all that over to the the titanium gravel bike next year. The the titanium stuff is just um, it's immaculate. I don't know how else to put it. And I'm and I'm not just saying that because if you buy one or you don't buy one. You know, my <laughs> doesn't really affect me that much. I just love the bikes. So, is there
1: anything that we didn't discuss today that you wanted that you want to discuss? And do you have any um, do you have any people you want to thank?
0: Uh thanks. So sure, I think we covered everything. I'd like to thank. Definitely the people at Mork who were very supportive, like super early on when I was scraping their website and basically taking their free, their data for free and turning it into something else. Uh, you know, Gunnar Carlson, in particular, the outgoing president, um, Dane Cromer, and oh, I'm forgetting all their names. There's so many people at Mork, incredibly helpful. The uh, Saskia, uh Trail System in Stillwater, Minnesota, and Lake Elmo, they were the first one to say, Hey, yeah, we'd love to be in this app that on their own. So they were the first one to opt into it. They sort of really validated the idea of trail managers providing updates. And then, I mean, there's a ton of Ansel at Cogs and Duluth has been hugely supportive this year of, of Trailbot, Chuck Picard, who was the previous president in Kayuna, again, hugely supportive. tons of the uh, Wisconsin ones. I can't remember all their names, but the trail managers who, like really, I think, got on board before the app really had, like, enough validation. Like I, I'm super uh, appreciative of those people. So yeah, I think that's, that's pretty much uh, who I'd like to thank pretty much any trail manager that provides updates on behalf of all the riders. Like thank you for just making it easier to know where to go ride and saving us time and, and the volunteers that make the trails happen, you know, keeping them up to date. Like there's not enough thank yous for that. Like it's, it's mostly thankless work, but like, I hope you hear it from me and the people who I talk to, like, thank you so much for the time and effort that you put into it and and hopefully Trailbots made your life just a little bit easier so that you can spend more time on trails.
1: Yeah, for sure. And John, I thank you for prodding me to get you on the show. I know we kind of went back and forth. It was maybe even it was probably before you even owned your bike shop, to be honest. I'm glad we have it on now though, because I think well, first of all, this platform has more people listening to it. But I think you could provide a lot more insight as as far as like how to actually get this nationwide, because I do think this tool is a tool that everyone wants. People want to know trail conditions, like especially people that are traveling. And so I work for a company that's based, that has an office in Bentonville and I see it on their, on their stuff all the time. Like if you go to Facebook, like what are the trail conditions at Kohler? You know what I mean? And, and and they have a whole different system down there, but people still reach out on Facebook and the other places trying to figure out what, you know, what conditions are. And so getting more trail systems, whether it's through a municipality, through, I think the bike shop idea is a good one because. A lot of people do go to bike shops to ask what trail conditions are, even if it's just, you know, the feed from, you know, we'll say local trail organization, XYZ, that then cross pollinates a widget onto a bike shop, onto a bike shop website. Like that's a very important tool for both the bike shop and the trail system and the trail organization. So I appreciate what you're doing and I appreciate that you're actually looking at, well, even the volunteer management, if you go into that, like. I could see that's where you, where a pay to play model comes in because that could probably be more heavy lifting on your end, but trail organizations have a hard time with volunteer management. I know that firsthand.
0: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Well. thank you. I, I mean, I, it's, it's been a ton of fun and now I know how to make a mobile app too. So it worked out for, in multiple ways.
1: Everybody be sure you go to TrailBot, especially if you're in one of the, if, if you're going to frequent one of the systems that are listed in TrailBot. And if you don't have a system that's on TrailBot, maybe you should talk to your local trail organization, municipality, or whoever it is that does do trail conditions and help prod them to get on trail app. So not only you, but whoever else wants to know what the conditions are at that system can go to one place and figure out where it's at because it might be on Facebook, but chances are you should probably just go to TrailBot because it's going to be the most accurate up-to-date information. Absolutely.
0: And for one final note, the number one way that trails are motivated to add to start supporting the app is rider feedback. So if I reach out to them and say, "Hey, do you want to provide updates to Trailbot?" that almost never worked. But if enough riders do, then then the trail will get interested in it. So if you are interested in this to, to, kindly and respectfully, please ask your your trail managers uh, to check it out at trailbot.com Well, John,
1: I thank you very much for coming on the show. This is going to go out early in January, so it'll be perfect. All right, thanks, Josh. Thank you for listening. If you like what you've heard, please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing these shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. Also, if you're new to the Trail Effect podcast, check out our ever-expanding library of episodes. If you listen to the Trail Effect podcast on Apple or Spotify, please don't forget to leave a rating and review, as this is one of the best ways to show our support for the Trail Effect podcast. Also, don't forget to check out Cooley Creative at www.dodjustsendit.com. For additional ways to help support the Trail Effect podcast, check out the affiliate links tab at the Trail Effect website, where you'll find links to Kettle Mountain Apparel, Worldwide Cyclery, and Trail One Components. By using the affiliate links found at www.trailfectpodcast.com, a small commission will come back to the podcast, which will help keep this thing going. This podcast has been edited and produced by Evolution Trail Services. Thank you again for listening.